But if you will, open your Bibles to Amos chapter 4. And uh, let's go again to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, in Jesus' name, once again, we come into your presence. We come in Jesus. We come in his name because you have instructed us that uh, that's how we should come. And truly, Lord, we uh, have no worthiness of our own in which we could draw near to you. But we have been made near in Jesus. And our uh, sins have been cleansed and paid for. And uh, we have been reconciled unto you through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we praise you for that. We thank you, Lord, for your precious word that you have uh, preserved for us. Down through all these centuries, you've given us a copy of it in our own language. You've uh, actually, in our country, we have many copies, many uh, translations of your word. And uh, so that uh, we have no excuse not to read it and not to be, uh, not to be fed and strengthened by it. But uh, Lord, we... We, we just want to thank you for it, and we pray that as we look into it this morning, that you would speak to our hearts, that it would be more than just a lesson, but that you would speak to our hearts. I need it, Lord. And so, if nothing else, speak to me through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's read chapter 4 once again, and... Uh, this is a, a very powerful chapter, and it's powerful as uh, Art was teaching it, and, uh, and it just uh, stirred my heart. Now, I want to say that I, uh, I'm going to confess right now that I was born knowing nothing. And so I had to learn everything I know, and I had to learn it from other people. Sorry to say, I couldn't just pick it up on my own. Had to learn it from other people. And so, uh, I read and I get my material and my understanding of scriptures. Uh, uh, sometimes the Lord gr uh, grants me the ability to just figure it out. And other times, I uh, read other people and I... Uh, and I don't always point out, and I, I know I should, but I don't always point out when I have uh, uh, gleaned something from uh, another source. But uh, let me just give you this uh, as a, uh, an overall disclaimer <laughs> that uh, uh, if you read John Gill, R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Piper, Pink, Henry, uh, that's uh, Matthew Henry, uh, J.I. Packer, John Calvin, uh, Edwards, uh, James Montgomery Boyce, John Owen, and a multitude of others, you know everything I know. You can find everything I preach. And uh, these are uh, great men, and so... Uh, uh, don't expect me to have 
100% original thoughts and uh, sermons. But uh, I, I want us to think about this, uh, this passage of Scripture here as we look through it. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan, that are in the mountain of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, Bring and let us drink. The Lord God hath sworn by his holiness that, lo, the days shall come upon you that he will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. And ye shall go out at the breaches, every cow at that which is before her, and ye shall cast them into the palace, saith the Lord. Now I'm reading from the King James Version. I hope you can follow. Come to Bethel and transgress at Gilgal. Multiply transgression and bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years. And offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven and proclaim and publish the free offerings for this liketh you, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord God. And I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and want of bread in all your palaces, yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Now, Art's already pointed this out to us, but this, uh, this is repeated several times as we go along here. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Then verse 7, And also I have withholden the rain from you, when there were yet three months to harvest, and I caused it to rain upon one city, and caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon, and the piece whereupon it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered into one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have smitten you with blasting and mildew when your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased. The palmer worm devoured them. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have sent among you the pestilence. After the manner of Egypt, your young men have I slain with the sword and I have taken away your horses I have made the stink of your camps to come up unto the nostrils, yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have overthrown some of you, as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning, yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Therefore, Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. For lo, he that formeth the mountains and createth the wind, 
and declareth unto man what is his thought, that maketh the morning darkness, and treadeth upon the high places of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Well, so uh, I want to just use that uh, uh, thought in verse 12 there as a starting point for considering this chapter and uh, uh, basically the message of Amos where he says, Because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Now, of course, you remember that Art has told us that Amos prophesied to the northern kingdom of Israel. And this was some 800 years before the birth of Christ. And uh, uh, he, Amos describes God's call on his life here in verse number, or in chapter number 7. And he, he says in verse 14, Then answered Amos and said unto Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son. But I was a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. I learned that that's figs. <laughs> and the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, Go, prophesy unto my people Israel. And so he uh, gives a very clear uh, uh, testimony of God's call on his life. And so he's declaring that the message he has for Israel is from God. Now, I, I think it uh, is good for us to always remember that Old Testament prophets under the Old Covenant and uh, all the way up to John the Baptist, who I believe to be the last of the Old Testament prophets. You can argue with me about that later if you would like. But, but uh, the Old Testament prophets received direct revelation from God. They were spoken to by God and God gave them a voice and the power of the Holy Spirit with which to preach and to speak. And so when you rejected that prophet of God, you were rejecting God. You were rejecting God's word. And so uh, Amos was a prophet of God, one who had been called by God and given this ministry to the northern kingdom. And uh, there were times in uh, the northern kingdom's life <laughs> Uh, that there was prosperity and there was times when they were under the judgment of God. And so it seemed like that God would occasionally allow them to have some prosperity. You know, as we were reading, he said that uh, uh, when, their, when their fig trees blossomed, when their vineyards uh, were uh, were ripe and their olive trees increased... He would, so that would be a time of prosperity, and then God would send the palmer worm to devour them. And so they would have all these, uh, uh, these problems and, and uh, judgments that would come from God. 
And, uh, but in spite of the times of prosperity, it's obvious that they were always in a time of spiritual bankruptcy. And so he has gone here to, Amos has gone here to Bethel, to the, uh, uh, one of the centers of their corruption. Now, Bethel was a place that started out as a holy place, wasn't it? It was uh, a place where uh, God honored his uh, uh, people. I, I think even uh, Samuel uh, ministered from Bethel and from Gilgal. And, uh, but after the death of Solomon, something happened. Solomon had drifted from God. He'd married all these uh, strange women and uh, idolatrous women of different religions against the will of God. Now we're talking about Solomon. We're talking about the man that God honored as a wise man, gave him all sorts of wisdom and, uh, and we've seen, as you read the historical books of the Old Testament, you read of the wisdom, the great wisdom of Solomon. But it doesn't matter who you are, or how great you are, or how wise you are, if you are a human being in flesh, you are subject to be, to drift from God. You are subject to sin. Even the great Solomon, and he drifted so far from God that he set up idols and idol worship. And God was angered and God told him, I'm not going to rend the kingdom from you in your days, but in your son's day I will. And so when uh, uh, Rehoboam uh, became king, he only had the one tribe of Judah and maybe some of Benjamin, but the other ten tribes aligned themselves with a guy by the name of Jeroboam who was uh, a descendant of a servant. He was a son of a servant uh, to Solomon. He was not uh, in the royal line whatsoever, but Jeroboam became the king of the ten tribes of uh, uh, Samaria. Their capital was Samaria. It's called the, tri the uh, kingdom of, uh, of Israel. And then the other kingdom, the uh, uh, southern kingdom, was uh, the kingdom of Judah. And, uh, and so Jeroboam did a pretty rotten thing. And you see, this all comes from Solomon. This, this is uh, uh, things that God's judgment is on Solomon and, uh, and this judgment is coming down into the uh, people of Israel. And, uh, and Jeroboam set up high places in Gilgal and in Bethel. And he set up golden calves 
for them to worship. And he said the very same thing that, uh, that Aaron had said to the children of Israel while Moses was up on the mountain and he made that golden calf. These be thy gods, O Israel, that brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Can you imagine that? Now, this is what has happened. And so Bethel has become a center of idol worship. Abraham had established it as a holy place, a place of worship. And Jacob had... Uh, uh, had seen it as a place of worship. But you see, here's what the devil likes to do. This is one of the wiles of Satan that we should always be aware of. He doesn't necessarily care about fighting against the church or the people of God. He, he would rather join it. You know what I'm saying? He'd rather work from inside, and that's exactly what has happened here. Instead of uh, trying to just destroy Bethel and destroy all the uh, uh, worship there, he just sets up his own worship through Jeroboam and his people. And another thing is they set up the, the altar of Molech there where they burned their children. So this is, this is the situation, and this is what Amos has uh, come to, uh, to prophesy against and to warn Israel against for their false worship and their idolatry. And in verse number four, God mocks them. He mocks their worship. He says in verse four, come to Bethel and transgress at Gilgal. Multiply transgression and bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven and proclaim and publish the free offerings for this Liketh you, or this is like you, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord. But because of this, he says, I've given you cleanness of teeth. I've made you hungry. And, uh, and we'll just go on down through these uh, steps of God's judgment here. And at the end of every one, as uh, Amos uh, rehearses them to the uh, children of Israel, to the people of Israel. He, uh, he ends each one of these things of God's judgment, these rehearsals of God's judgment by saying, Yet have you not returned unto to me, saith Jehovah the Lord. And he reminds them, how that God has called to them. And, and that's what all this is, is God calling to his people. In verse 6, it's through famine. In verses 7 and 8, through drought. In, verses, uh, uh, in verse 9, it's through blight and mildew and uh, locust. In verse 4, it's uh, in verse 10, 
it's through pestilence and sword. And then in verse 11, uh, he says that God overthrew some of them like Sodom and Gomorrah. And he, through all this, was calling unto them to bring them back from their downward spiral, to bring them back from their downward path. And he was calling them through circumstances. Now, I want us to remember that, uh, that all this is written for our learning as well. God uh, preserved this for us for a reason. And uh, he was not taken by surprise in the condition uh, in which we find our country. And I think we would just have to identify very much with the people of Israel in this, don't you? I think that uh, we have uh, uh, come from a, uh, a position, I don't think we've ever been what we thought we were as a nation, I don't think we've ever been the great godly people that we sometimes uh, uh, talk about how we used to be because we never have been all that we hoped we would be or all that we should have been. But we have had some great men in leadership. We've had some people that God has raised up like Jonathan Edwards and, and people like that who have preached the word of God and have set the moral climate for our country. And our country has been enabled by the mercy of God to do some pretty amazing things as far as sending missionaries out to the entire world. I don't know of any place in history that has ever had the open door for missions set before them like the United States of America has, and yet I read of people in countries like China and in Africa praying that God would revive America, that God would have mercy on the United States of America once again. And you and I need to be praying for that. These circumstances that we are facing now are the judgment of God. We don't need to sit around and say, well, if we don't straighten up the judgment of God's coming, the judgment of God is here. The judgment of God is upon us. Do you see the kind of leadership that God has given us? He, isn't that exactly what he did to Israel? Did he not give them a corrupt leader? We have, we have people in places of high leadership that worship Molech. And I say that because they, they are willing to sacrifice the lives of innocent babies. And they have even come. Am I repeating what I said the other day? Well, it's okay. I'll repeat. The, the, it's amazing. You know, I can't, 
I can't accept abortion under any circumstances myself. Uh, you know, I guess there are a few times when the life of the mother is in danger and maybe a choice has to be made. I just don't think that that happens that often. Maybe I, I don't know too much. Other than that, why pass the death sentence on the innocent party? No matter what else has happened, that baby is a human life. And even if you think that, uh, you know, just get rid of it before it starts to grow very much and all that, <laughs> that's one thing, but waiting until just before it's born and murdering it. Or we have some now who are willing to kill it after it's born. The judgment of God is on our country. Just as it was on the people of Israel in Amos' day. And the message he's preaching to them is, wake up, look around you, and see the judgment of God that has been on you, and yet you refuse to repent. The pandemic... All that, listen, the, the disease itself and the crazy reactions to it. It's judgment of God. The economy and the struggle that we're having now, we're going to have food shortage. Do you know that, you know what they did when the pandemic started and uh, they couldn't sell, the farmers couldn't sell their uh, produce and they couldn't sell their uh, livestock and things like that and they just killed chickens and hogs and beef they just killed all that stuff and now we don't <laughs> we're we're having food shortages and and high prices and things like that and yet we don't repent I noticed what, uh, what he said about uh, how that he sent them uh, famine and the water, dry, or uh, uh, no rain. He sent no rain and uh, drought and everything dried up. And so he would cause it to rain on one city and, uh, and not on another city. And a couple of cities that didn't have any rain, they said, well, you know, that's all right. We'll just go to this city that does have water. And then he'd dry that city up. God's judgment was on them and they couldn't see it. And they wouldn't hear the man of God when he proclaimed it to them. When he pointed it out to them. And so he gives Amos this commission. To bring this, this last hope. This last opportunity. When he says. Therefore thus will I do unto thee. O Israel. And because I will do this unto thee. And he's talking about. What he's going to do. Not what he has done. What he's going to do. 
he says, Because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. And that's the message for us today. That's the message for our country today. The last hope. Prepare to meet God. You'll either meet Him in a joyous reunion and, and a welcome, or you will meet Him in divine wrath and judgment, eternal wrath and judgment, not just a passing uh, affliction or hardship in life, but an eternal time of wrath. That's how it's going to be. So let me give you about uh, 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 four or five things that we can use to prepare. And, we, and this is all still in context of this passage of Scripture. Four or five ways that we could prepare to meet God. The first thing is we must seek to worship where biblical truth is honored and taught. You see, the problem with Israel was they were, they were going to worship, but they weren't going where biblical truth was taught. They weren't going to the place where God had chosen. Not the place where God had put his name there. They were going to a, uh, a false place of worship where they got to hear what they wanted to hear. And while they were there, they were falling farther and farther into sin and going deeper and deeper into uh, destruction and they were going further into God's wrath. There was no truth there. There was nobody standing up for the truth except for a man like Amos and uh, they rejected him. You know, it's a dangerous thing to go to church and ignore the preaching. It's a dangerous thing to to hear God's word and not obey it. Number two, we must renounce sin or in other words, repent. To prepare to meet God, we must renounce all sin in our hearts, all sin that we know about, all that we have, uh, uh, that has been revealed. You know, You'll read the Word of God if you will hear the Word of God preached and taught. And if you will search your heart in prayer and ask God to reveal your sin, He will put His finger on your sin. He will shine the light of truth into that dark place. I think we'd all have to agree that we're like this. We have places in our hearts that we, we don't want to get right. I know that on one hand we say, yeah, well, I would like to be completely right with God. 
but we don't we we don't spend the time or take the effort to actually get completely right with God, do we? He will he can shine the light of his truth into that dark place and expose your sin and then you can repent and you can turn from it. But Psalm 66, verse number 18 in the King James, I know it's worded a little differently in the ESV and others, but Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. God will not be mocked by our pretending to love him on Sunday when the rest of our days, the rest of our lives, and our heart is full of sin. We're sowing a crop that must be reaped. In uh, Galatians chapter 6, was it, uh, I, I, may, I thought I made that, uh, oh yeah, verses 7 and 8. Galatians chapter 5, verses Seven and eight. Let me read it. Got to hurry, but nope. It was chapter six, verses seven and eight. Be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever. Listen, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also. <clears throat> for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So, what we pretend to be on Sunday does not impress God. He knows, He sees our hearts, He knows what's there. And there's coming a time when we will reap a, a horrible harvest. But let me say this. He will gladly, gladly receive the filthiest sinner if he comes to him in repentance. Number three, take note of how God is speaking in our lives by all the circumstances, not just, not just what you hear when you're preaching, when you're in preaching and when you're uh, being preached to, don't, uh, and when you're reading scripture, all that is God speaking to you, but sometimes he's speaking to you in circumstances in your life. He's judging you. And... And you need to ask God, we need to ask God to make us aware of things like that. And then number four, draw near to God in our hearts. Just, it's not physical distance that are, it's our problem, but... Uh, Drawing near to God is a heart thing. It's spending time in His presence, drawing near to Him uh, spiritually by 
paying attention to him, focusing on him, desiring him, trusting him, and delighting in him, we draw near to him. We should, uh, we can start preparing our hearts to uh, uh, return to the Lord or to come to the Lord by getting re getting ready on Saturday nights instead of focusing on everything else on Saturday night and then getting up uh, groggy and sleepy on Sunday morning and dragging into church. I had a preacher friend that used to say we were drag race Christians. We dragged in and we raced out. And uh, that sometimes is the way it is. Get, uh, get to bed early. Get up early enough to prepare your heart. Begin worship as soon as you enter the sanctuary and get involved in worship at church personally. Some good things to help us. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would take these uh, thoughts and apply them to our lives and our hearts. In Jesus' name.